Well, tonight we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 4 and 5. You know, one of the things is we're going to consider John's unique experience of, of going to heaven and being involved in being caught up. And so we're going, we've, uh, uh, Joel read, read to us chapter 4 and we're also going to be referring to chapter 5. And, verse, and when John initially was told in chapter 1 and verse 19 to write therefore what you have seen and what is now and what will take place later. So he was given this, this commission to write down what he was seeing and so we've got this ongoing record of the things that happened to him. And so we find this, he's caught up in a, a location change in, in chapter 4 and verse 1. After this, I looked and there before me was a door standing open into heaven. Okay? So this door opened. And it appeared to be a, a vision of a, of a door from taking him from heaven up into, in, from, rather from earth up into heaven. And uh, so here we find he's, this open door and he, he's taken in and he's, he's going to be shown things of, that are going to happen. And, he's, and it says that he was in the spirit. And uh, I believe that in a set means that he was, uh, and the Hebrew idiom is sort of the, the means that he was caught up like in a trance-like state or a, caught up like a dream sort of state and he was, this was created by God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit was letting him know that this is, you know, that this is uh, these things are not just uh, things that you just, you know, you have dreams, don't you? And, uh, and you dream things and you sort of wake up and think, yeah, and it's all garbled together. But this was a very clear, he clearly understood and knew that definitely he was uh, seeing something that God had given him and he knew that this was what he needed to write down and need to record this. And in, in, in many cases, it sort of parallels with the, the things that are happening in, uh, in the book of Ezekiel. And you'll find that many of the things that come up in this, they sort of, he's alluding to and, and he takes a lot of the, illusion, the, the sort of imagery from the book of Ezekiel, but it's put together differently and it's not, not identical with uh, the things that are happening in the book of Ezekiel. And so the you know, first thing is that the throne was the thing that sort of occupied his attention. And... Uh, yeah, and he, he, sort of, he, he gives a detailed description of what he saw. And uh, yeah, in verse 3 it says, And the one who sat up had the appearance like jasper and carnelian. In some translations it says ruby. And a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. And so he's, got, he's seeing this great sort of throne. Now it, it's, a vision is very similar to what is in, in Ezekiel chapter 1, but it's not identical to it. And, uh, and here he is, he's looking at this central person on the throne and he's comparing them to these, these gems, the jasper and the carnelian, and, and we're not really quite sure what gems they are. Now they're, they're, they're old, the, we're not quite, quite sure what the modern equivalents were, but all we do know is when you go to the, the Old Testament and uh, when they, did a, they made a breastplate of the high priest, they put these 12 gems on it and it's the first and the last of those gems whatever they were. But all we know is that he was this sort of, he's taken up using this description of the, using, comparing them to, to these gems. The same gems are also referred to in Revelation chapter 21 in relation to the new Jerusalem and the, the foundations and the doors of, of the new Jerusalem and these gems are mentioned there as well. All we know is that as far as, we, as, far as the, in the, we go to the Old Testament, nobody had actually ever seen God. When Moses uh, wanted to see God, he, he, was, he was allowed to see the, the passing glory of God. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, when he talks about God in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 16, it says, God is alone, is immortal, and who lives in unapproachable light. 
whom no one has seen or can see. In another verse in the Old Testament, in Psalm 104 and verse 2, it says, He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent. And so it seems to me that John is using the most sort of expressive human image that he can to, to describe the, the majesty and the greatness and the awesomeness of God. Uh, I don't know about you, but some people, you know, when I went to uh, London in, back in 1975, and one, you go around and you do all the tourist thing and you visit the different places. And one of the places I went to, to visit was the Tower of London. And housed in the Tower of London are the crown jewels. And uh, you'd line up there and the, the beef eaters, they're on, you sort of on, the guards are there. And you're going through this, uh, going through this entrance and, and you walk down, uh, you're allowed to walk down where the, the jewels are in the case. And you're not allowed to stop, you've got to keep, you've got to keep moving. And then, you, then after, after going, passing by and looking at the, the crown jewels, there's a place where you can stand back and stand and you can stand still and you can look back and you can look at the crown jewels. And as I remember, that was back for me back in 1975, 40 years ago, I can still remember being so sort of captivated and overwhelmed by the, 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 the glistening diamonds and all of the, the glistening of the, the, the jewels, the crown jewels. And I thought, well, that's probably something like what John saw. He saw this, this, you know, this throne, and it was God in all His grandeur. But he, all he could, he was just caught up with the with the fact of this, this all this shining light. And he and he writes it down in using the the ter, in terms of just using these jewels to describe it. He knew that he was in the presence of God. He knew he was there observing the throne of God. He knew that he was there seeing all the glory of God. And I'm sure he, he was sort of wishing he could have greater words. So I, the way I thought, I, was, I believe that he had, if he believed that if he had you know, any verbal, superl you know, verbal, verbal superlatives, they would have been inadequate to capture the glory of God around this throne. And so John is just sort of awestruck by what he sees. And then he goes on and he talks more about the elders. In verse 4, surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And so around the, on the outside of these other 24 thrones, now we're not quite sure who they, these, these, these 24 elders are. All we know is that they were sitting individually on seats, they were, wearing, they were dressed in white and they were wearing uh, crowns of gold, these sort of, uh, these sort of crowns on their head. They had, there was some speculation about the identity of these people. Some have suggested, well, maybe it was the 12 from the Old Testament and 12, you know, the 12 patriarchs of the Old Testament or the 12 apostles of the New Testament representing all believers. Other people have said, well, no, back in the Old Testament, in, in 1 Chronicles, it talks about the 24 or lots of priests. So they're saying they're probably the, the celestial counterpart of the 20 or four orders of, of priests in the Old Testament. Really, we don't know who they were. But we do know when we go to chapter 5, we see that the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And it seems to me that they, they're there in some sort of representative capacity. And we're not quite sure who they are, but we know that they're there participating and, and John's observing them and seeing them. And in and, and verse 5, it says, the throne, From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles of thunder. 
Uh, and this also, if you get these imagery, the thunder and the lightning, you know, remind us of the awesomeness of God and also that the fire and that you'll find that these are used in the Bible as to, to represent God. And so he knew that he was in God's presence. And also there was the, the seven torches equal to, which equivalent to the seven spirits of God. And so here he is in this, this great observing all this is going on. And then the four living creatures, there, there were four creatures that come out. And that, that got the, uh, in verse 7, you know, four living creatures, one like a lion, another like an ox, the other the face of a man, and the other was a flying eagle. And they had six wings. And they were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and is to come. Again, we're not quite sure who these, what these four, four creatures uh, really represent, but it reminds us of the strength of God. The, the lion reminds us of the strength of God. The ox reminds us of the idea of service. The face reminds us of the man and the intelligence of, and also the eagleness of swiftness. So here we, this, this, this sort of, this imagery here of knowing that they're in the presence of God and reminded of that God who, is, who was and who is and is to come, reminding them also of the, that God's an eternal being. And so we find that here in verse 9, whenever the living creatures give glory and honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever, the 24 elders fall down before him and to the one who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before him and the throne say, you are worthy, O Lord God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And it seems to me that there's this, you know, this intermittent worship that's going on when the, as, they, as the elders responded in worship and as they bowed down. And the elders laid their crowns at the feet. And so here is this whole thing. You say, well, what's all of this about? What's the, the significance of this? John realised that he was in the presence of the Creator, of God Almighty. He knew that he was in the presence of God. And sometimes for us, sometimes when you're in a gathering and you, as, you, as you spend time maybe in prayer and in worship, there's something about the awesomeness of the presence of God. And they knew that they were in the presence of God. They, they were in the presence of the one who was created. And if you go on in the, the chapters, chapter 6 right through to chapter 19, you'll see how that, that God is involved in, court, in bringing judgment through the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls. He's the one who is the who created and sustained the whole world, he is now going to be involved in, in, in coming judgment in the future time. And one person that, uh, that tried, in the best, a good summary that come of this chapter was from a guy called Leon Morris. He says, God has not abandoned the world, and it is indeed his world. He made all things, and he made them for his own purpose. John readers might not, must not think that evil is in control, evil is real, but the divine purpose still stands. God as the creator is going to have his way with this world that he has created. He has his plans. He has his purposes. He is going to bring them to fruition. And so that's what, the, you know, the, the sort of in summary, I'll, I'll sort of skip through that pretty quickly, but just to realise that they realise that God is the creator. And, and they realised that God was the one that, had, that they were in his presence, the, the almighty creator. And then it goes on to chapter 5, which is a little bit different. 
and I'm going to read a few verses and make a few references and make a, a few comments about it. You know, the scene continues. In chapter 5 and verse 1, Then I saw the, the right hand of him who sat on the throne. A, in the th in, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And so he, there's one there. You've got this, this, this scroll. It's got seven seals on it. It's written on both sides. Sometimes they didn't write on both, only wrote on one side mainly, usually. If they didn't have enough space, they'd fill up the whole scroll. Sometimes they wrote the out, on the outside, they wrote a summary of what was on the inside. And so they had, and it tells us in Ezekiel chapter 2 and verse 9, there was a scroll with writing on both sides. And, he, and, in, and in verse 2, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and to open the scroll? And then verse 3, it says, No one in heaven on earth, under the earth, could open the scroll or even look inside it. John was an observer. Suddenly John becomes involved with what's going on. And in verse 4, it says, I wept because, and wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and look inside. He was involved in the whole thing. And verse 5, then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. And so he's, he's there, he's starting to cry, he's crying because nobody could open, and suddenly one of the elders talks to him, he has some interaction with them, and he's told, look, look, there's one coming, who is, and he uses a, a phraseology, that, a terms that, that describe the Lord Jesus, and their Old Testament, the, the Lion of the tribe of Judah goes, connects back to the book of Genesis, and also in the, new, in the uh, book of Hebrews, it talks about the Lord Jesus being a priest after the order of Melchizedek, which means he was from the tribe of Judah, and he's, uh, he's reminding, he's letting him know that it's, you know, this is really, he's talking about the Lord Jesus. And, it, and he goes on and he, and he talks, I saw a lamb looking as it had been slain, standing in the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And, he took, and, it, and this, uh, it says, this lamb that had been slain, as John writes it down, he, talk, he puts it in a very special way, in, in the language of the, of the original Greek, it's saying about somebody who was slain, but the effects of his, this being slain, the effects of that action continue right through till now. It's a past action that has a present application. And so he's referring to the fact of the Lord Jesus died and his sacrificial work. And his death and his burial and his resurrection apply to, still apply. And of course that still applies today, doesn't it? And so he's, he's being, drawing attention to the fact that the, that the Lord Jesus is the, and he's saying he's the one who's worthy to open these seals. Normally they had seven seals on them and they, often they were on wills and the, the people that, that, that were the witnesses of the will put their, their seal on it. And when the will was read and, and after the person that had died and the will was being read and being applied and being, uh, being activated, uh, they were the ones that would, would be standing there and would be there breaking the seals. But he's saying, no, the one who's worthy to open the seals, and you'll see the seals are referred to in, in chapter 6 right through to 19, the one who is worthy to open the seals is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is the one who has the, the authority. He is the one... That they, and they were, in, you know, they were aware that they were, the Lord Jesus took the scroll and those who were in the presence around the throne worshipped him. They recognised, 
you know, that he was the one who had the, the, he was the one who was, in fact, the Lord Jesus. He was the one who was the, 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 the one who had the, the root of David, the one who was the lion of the tribe of Judah, one who was the lamb that was slain, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the elders continued to worship as they, as they sang a new song. And, and the, the last verses you, you, are, are written in, in, po- in a poetic way. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men of God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them to be a kingdom of priests and to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. We won't go through and talk about that but... It's letting him know that they, they were acknowledging and, and worshipping and praising. And then in verse 11, there was a whole voice of many, uh, many angels, numbered thousands upon thousands and ten times ten thousand. And they encircled the throne of the living creatures and they, they were worshipping the Lord. And they finished with this great sort of crescendo of worship. And here is John sort of who's, who is, is there, who's been part, sort of talking with his people as aware that he was in the, the presence of, of the, uh, the throne, around the throne of God, and that he was in the presence of, of, the, of God as, as described in, in chapter 4, and the Lord Jesus as he's described in chapter 5. And so as we come to the, the end of, the, of, the, of our, my time, and as I just sum up with the, the conclusion at the end, what, what, how does that apply to us? Well, I think we can have confidence that in our Creator and our Redeemer, He continues to actively work in our world. He is aware of all the situations that you and I face. He created us. Salvation is available through the Lord Jesus. And we can recommit our lives to Him and worship Him because He is worthy of our praise. And that's what John came to understand, that he was in the, the presence of the, the Lord Jesus. And he was you know, aware that he was there observing all of this. And as he goes on, you will see that the same Lord Jesus was the one who was worthy to reveal the future of what was going to happen in chapter 6 right through to the end of the book of Revelation. So let's pray together now as we come to the end of our service and our time together. Dear Lord, we want to thank you for the opportunity that we're able to share together tonight. We want to thank you for the living Lord Jesus. We want to thank you that we are able to come to worship him and to enter his presence and to, to walk with him day by day. And we thank you that we can have a relationship because he has come and that he has given his life for us. He's redeemed us by his blood and he's now a living Lord Jesus who's seated at your right hand interceding for us. And we want to praise you for him. We want to praise you that we can worship together tonight. In his precious name we pray. Amen.